Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630, WLAP, the home of the cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, we'll talk about it right here on Locked On Kentucky. We this edition of the show is brought to you by La Rosa's Pizzas. Uh, we are going to tell you about them in just a bit. Kyle Tucker is off today. He is working feverishly on a piece for the Athletic that I know you guys are going to love. And then after it gets posted, we're going to get to get all the behind-the-scenes details, which I'm super excited about uh, because he's been feeding me some stuff, and I know not all of it's going to fit into the writing portion of it, so we're going to get all the other cool little tidbits about the story. So stay tuned for that. As always, please subscribe. That way, every podcast goes straight to your phone. Um, on this one, we are gonna. Sh- I'm going to share your, with you guys an interview that myself and Dick Gabriel uh, got to do with Kentucky Athletic Director Mitch Barnhart um, the other night on our live radio show, Big Blue Insider, which is weeknights from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, we talked to Mitch a- about a lot of different topics. Um, I'm just going to throw it there, and then stay tuned after we ra- after um, the Mitch Barnhart portion of the podcast ends up. I'm going to answer some of your guys's football mailbag questions that we hadn't got to earlier this week because of all the breaking news that was going on. So I got a couple of football questions. Um, we'll get to those in a bit. But right now, uh, let's hear from Mitch Barnhart, Dick Gabriel, and myself. B, how are you, sir? I'm good, guys. You doing okay tonight? We are well. Thank you so much. You guys have another Catsby ceremony in the books. And uh, shy of celebrating championships, I've got to think for you that that is your favorite night of the year when everybody gets all dolled up and, and the, all the athletes come together and and basically celebrate each other, and that's something you brought here with you. Is it still? You still get a kick out of it? I got to think you do. I do. It's a. It's a. I think that so many times you get a little tunnel vision about um, your sport, your your individual deal, and it's a night where you look around and say, you know what? There's some people who have done some pretty amazing things here as well, and so we had a good opportunity last night to. Uh, we put together when the kids walked in all the hardware we'd won in the last year, trophies, medals, and everything like that. It was an amazing, amazing display of, <laughs> of stuff. And I wanted the kids, I wanted the kids to see the picture of it and and just get a glimpse of what they'd accomplished. And frankly, um, I'd sort of forgotten what they accomplished. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a it was an amazing, amazing display and and really, really a special opportunity. So. Uh, proud of him, um, and then the the capper of the night for me was just the celebration of Josh Pascal oh, and to my. watch him. He literally came in to uh, receive the Blue Heart Award from Holly Rowe from ESPN. It was mm-hmm. a cancer survivor victim, and Josh mm-hmm. literally walked in from a chemo treatment. I'm barely, and we were really struggling to get around. And, yeah. and to see the courage of that young man and Scott, and the way he has carried himself through all of this, and just continues to to work at it and uh is is man it's it's amazing and uh it was a cool night um night of courage night of uh victory a night of fun um and the kids have a blast seeing each other so it's yeah. really good yeah and I, i've been privileged to host it a couple of times before it got so big now that you got big name people doing it and and it's it's just an incredible evening uh and i've covered it and what i really like about it the most mitch is that it's like all the sports are on the same level you know what i'm saying it's not all about yep. just the high profile sports and yep. and they're all yelling for each other 
Well, you know, when you when you've got a guy that uh, you've got, you celebrate. We didn't have a chance at last year's Caspi because it happened afterwards. But you have a guy like Tim Duckworth who is the national champion in the decathlon. Yeah. And if I bet if we asked if we asked a hundred there are a hundred people in in Kentucky who Tim Duckworth is, no one would know. But arguably for that two day stretch, the greatest athlete in the country. Yeah, and um, you know he. He scored over 8,000 points in the decathlon in one of the most grueling two-day events of, of anything in sport. And uh, he was the best of the best. And so, uh, you know, those are the things we get lost on us a little bit at times, and we forget about them. And, and then you look back and you say, you know what, some pretty pretty stellar folks have rolled through here, Sidney McLaughlin's and, and Jasmine Camacho-Quinn. And then, uh, you know, you just you can go down the list. And Asia Sight, you know, what she has done in swimming has been amazing. And uh uh, so it, there's much to celebrate, and uh, it was it was just a lot of fun. Well, Curtis and I have some issues we need to to pick your brain about stuff that's uh, on the minds of a lot of people in college athletics. Let me start with the grad transfer rule because that's a story that seems to be developing. That the, they're not going to do away with it, or you guys aren't, but you may change things a little bit with regard to how the scholarship is viewed, and can you get back to people actually working toward a graduate degree. And, and interestingly, John Calipari is one of the proponents of change. At least that's the way I read it. Where do you think you guys are on that? Well, I think that, that you know, when I, w- I was on the Division One Council right. for probably, well, I don't know, uh, a few years, it was um, the very beginning of the D1 Council. And that was, there was a committee that's, that dealt with the transfer issue in total. And the, the grad transfer issue was a piece of that. And the, and the notion that grad transfers need to actually try be working toward a graduate degree and and has been something we have not been in that space very much um in the time that that's sort of become a, a new deal mm-hmm. um i understand the need that i understand both sides of the conversation um, right. and and there are proponents on both sides and they both have valid arguments having said all that um there will be probably a change or i would i would anticipate coming out of the council meeting that the voting today and tomorrow i think as it is the they're up in indianapolis and that vote will not become reconciled until the board of directors meets in late april mm-hmm. um but they're voting to change some of the, some of those policies and one of those policies or i would i think is on the docket have not seen the final script but um that would say the receiving institution be responsible for it aid until that person either one completes the masters or complete or completes or is responsible for two years of age, which means that scholarship would have to be on your books for two years, although right. that person only had one year of eligibility. So yeah, that is a that is a possibility. When you pull up the transfer portal today, there was seventy four hundred division one athletes in the transfer portal today. Wow. Seventy four hundred. Wow. So that's a lot. And so clearly the transfer issue has become massively difficult to to rein in and to figure out what is best. And so I think we're a long, long way from, from any finality. Right. And I think that we've got a real lack of, of clarity in that, in that area. And um, we'll, we'll try and maneuver as best we possibly can to um, sort of find out, you know, find the right, right balance. Um, freedom of movement for a young person, especially when a coach has changed or left. Right. or uh, That thing is one thing. Uh, just to say, hey, you know, my playing time isn't quite what I thought I want, wanted to be. I'm out. Uh, or, hey, I don't. I like the coach now. I don't like the coach now. I'm out. Um, you know, I, or I'm. You know, so there's messaging on both sides, and 
Um, so I think at the end of the day, there's going to have to be some accountability on the receiving schools, and no matter what the mm-hmm. transfer is, whether it's undergraduate transfer or, or grad transfer, one way or another, someone's going I think there's going to have to be some accountability, and I don't know where it'll eventually land. Right. We'll hear more from Mitch in just a second. I've been telling you guys about the La Roses for a little bit now, and ooh, it's getting so close over on Richmond Road. I'm, I've been driving by it some, and it it I can almost smell the pizzas cooking in there. I know that's just my mind's playing a trick on me, but uh, growing up in Northern Kentucky, La Roses has been a staple of that area for a long time. You know, I've told you the story about Buddy La Roses opening his first. Peach a chain in 1954 up in Cincy, and then they just expanded and grew and grew and grew. Uh, he's got the family recipes. You know, they're not just a pizza place. Keep that in mind as well. They got salads, they got the pastas, uh, and all of it is available for carryout, delivery, or you can dine in. They have an awesome, awesome experience when you dine in. Very, very kid friendly. Um, so keep an eye out. We will let you guys know. Um, when that grand opening for the Roses is all the way set. And until then, um, if you're up in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, go check out your closest La Roses and eat some delicious food. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Right. Uh, Mitch, you, you mentioned the fact that you know you kind of lost track of all the accomplishments your athletic department was able to accomplish, and I think Part of that might have been because you were on the road quite a bit because you're on the NCAA basketball selection <laughs> committee. Um, you got yeah. some you got some good TV time. I don't know if you that's if, right. If you knew that or not. Um, well, I, every once in a while you get a text saying, "Hey, we see you. Don't move. <laughs> be, be careful what you do." That's okay, right. got it. So you, yeah, um, but I wanted to just kind of take the chance, and I know you don't want to. You always defer to the selection committee when you're talking about the selection committee chair when you're talking about individual selections and that thing. But the process overall, uh, and you, you know, John Calipari often kind of jokes about it, and I don't know if you got to see it, but on Selection Sunday there was a great back and forth with John Hale and John Calipari because Coach Calipari mentioned that he kind of had an idea that, you know, in the second round we'll play this great mid-major. And he goes, and the players, when the bracket came out, they're like, how did you know that? Do you have somebody in the room? And uh, John Hale quipped back and said, well, John Calipari, you actually do. <laughs> His name's Mitch Barnard. <laughs> Obviously, I know you guys don't you talk about those things, but I say all that to kind of to say, can you kind of, is the, the myth that's out there about you guys trying to produce storylines in the NCAA tournament? Like, yeah. is that a factor so, at all? Yeah, that, that's not true. And, there, and having, you know, walked through that for three years now, I can, I can tell you categorically untrue. Um, there, are, there are certain things that, that are protocols, there are, there are principles that, that are, you try to avoid, and those are, those are written down. Conference, conference matchups, people that have played two times previously, they cannot meet before certain rounds. And, and there are things like that that automatically occur. Um, there was a situation this year you know, where um, Richard Pitino faced right. Louisville, and there's a conspiracy that that, that that was something that everyone drew up. That's just not true. And, um, you know, we try really hard to try and, and be very, you know, to, to draw the seeds up and, and walk through uh, the protocols of the bracketing principles. And those principles are many. And they are all about um, where the first seeds go. And then after that, the mileage and the, and the regions which they're allowed to progress in based upon matchups during the season that they had and, and all of those pieces. We try and and uh, and work hard to, to, to find a balanced bracket. The seedings are are sort of 
measured out, so to speak, based upon the numbers, and there's a range of which you know, all those things are thought through. And um, but there has in my three years on the committee, has been one time that not once did anybody go, oh man, let's see if we can match them up. That would be a really great story somewhere. They'll TV will think that's really cool. No one, not once, and I and I, I not even close. Um, the people in the room have a, a phenomenal. Um, integrity. They've got great, great care about what they do. Um, I will tell you, when the bracket comes out on Sunday night, as a group, you're you're like a father waiting for the baby. Um, <laughs> it is you're waiting to see how it plays out. Right. Does it does it capture everybody's interest? Um, are people excited about it? Do people think it's fair? You know, you're you're very uh, you're uptight about it. Um, it is something that you know the world is watching, and so for those ten people in that room to walk out of there. Um, it is a it is a group I have great friendships in. I didn't know some of those people before I got in the room. Um, we have great friendships now. Um, it is hard to see a couple of them roll off every year. We and you you miss them in the room. You welcome two or three new people every year, depending on the balance of the committee. And uh, so it is a unique unique deal. Um, I'll forever be thankful for getting to do it, um, and I'm glad to bury the myth because uh, it's just not true. And you're, are you done now, or are you still on the committee? Oh, no, I've got two years left. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, so it's a five-year five year commitment for, for us, and, um, and, it's a, and again, it's a privilege. I mean, I consider it an absolute honor, and I would, I, yeah. I would not want to, to. You don't joke around with it. You don't taint with it. Right. You don't play with it. It is something that is of, of great seriousness, and I tell you, Bernard Muir was an outstanding chair this year. He he was uh, wonderful to work with. Uh, we had a great time uh, working together, and uh, lots of hours. Um, it was was uh, again uh, a wonderful experience, and and again the five years I'll I'll forever appreciate it. Well, there seems to be less and less whining after the fact by fans and media, so I think that means you guys are probably have really zeroed in on things. Let me let me toss this to you. Mike DeCourcy makes an interesting case. I know you've been interviewed by Mike before Sporting News, and he claims that they could you guys could really do well if you would ignore geography. And I, I know that at least in the past you've tried to keep teams as close to home as you can because it's a reward for them and their fans. Uh, and so is that really – one of the the guidelines still and would you all if so would you consider doing away with that just to, to try to balance things even more well i think that you've got geography certainly a factor it has to be because you know if if every year we're sending you know uh someone across the country right. and fans go see it, wow we just we just cannot we, we never get to follow our team right that just doesn't seem right and or the the competitive disadvantage of never having to be able to play in front of your uh, in front of your your group mm-hmm. um, that's tough um, that's a really really hard thing to do and so um, the, but you know I, the there's a, a lot of arguments um, about uh, disregarding region uh, you also have you know player um, you know I don't say safety of player uh, Making sure that they've got rest. Okay, are we sending player? I'm sorry, competitive equity. Player well-being. Trying to get to. So, yeah. so you've got a player that says, "Hey, you know what? We're hey, just because we we, we can, we're going to send them all the way across the country, and they get like one day's rest, right? And then they're going to play, and then we're going to ship them all the way back, and then we're going to ship them all the way back out over here, right? And you know, okay, so what are we doing? 
And so there are player issues, you know, player competitive equity issues. Sure. And, and we all talk about player safety and, and making sure the health of the kids is in play. And, and, and how many times, you know, the missing of class, they miss a lot of class in March. Mm-hmm. If you make a deep run, it's, it's a lot of missed class. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, we all, we all raise those issues. But then we say, ah, you know, don't worry about that when it comes time to send them. Send them where you need to send them, yeah, you know. And, yeah. and those two things sometimes don't balance out. And uh, I think the committee does a really good job of trying to, to wade through those things. Uh, Dan Gavitt is the head of NCAA basketball, and Joanne right. Scott is. Uh, those two work, and they've got a, a wonderful group of, of LJ um, and uh, Ron English and and these guys, they're a great team, and they help guide us through this. There's a guy by the name of David Warlock. He's, he's fabulous, and and uh, they are a wonderful group of sort of guiding us through principles and making sure that we stay focused mm-hmm. on on multiple things at one time. And it's it's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot coming at you. It's a little different than the football committee. I have great respect for the people on the football committee. They select four teams. <laughs> two of them are generally pretty are pretty clear. That's right. Yeah. The last two are the ones that they come up with. Yeah. And then they they've already got predetermined sites, so everybody knows where they're going. That's There's right. no mystery in that. That's right. Uh, for us, we have got 36 at large bids, 68 teams to seed, and and you know obviously a bunch of games to to to, to place people in, and the logistics of placing them all over the country and travel as quick as we can. And yeah. flights are a problem. Oh because yeah. Airfares a oh, problem yeah. because getting charter airfare and getting people around is a unbelievable challenge with two NCAA with the men's and women's tournament going on right. at the same time. Right. Uh, Mitch, obviously the news that it came out, I guess it's been a week or two ago now. Um, John Calipari, I know all the details probably aren't public at this point, but you know, you guys, he wants to finish his career and you guys made that possible. Why was that yes. such a priority, you know, during this off season? Well, I mean, I, we've been talking about it a while, so this is, it wasn't a mystery and it, you know, it sort of got ramped up a little bit when, UCLA made notice that they would like to talk to John and said, you know what, well, let's just let's get on with it and let's let's get it done. And, you know, Cal said he wanted to finish here. He said he loves he liked he loves Kentucky. Um, there's not a better place to to coach. Um, I, I don't want to speak to their job in LA. Um, that's that's their business. Um, but this is a special place. And it always will be a special place because of our fans, Rupp Arena, the tradition we have here. You know, five different coaches and won national championships here. I can go on and on. What Cal has accomplished here in 10 years, um, you know, we get caught up in, hey, we didn't get to a Final Four or we, we're too, we didn't shoot free throws well or something like right. that on uh, that one game. Um, he's won over 300 games, which if you do the math, that's about almost 31 games a year. If you want to do the math, he's, won, he's been to seven Elite Eights, four Final Fours, won a national championship, and pieces of – SEC regular season and tournament championships, I think it's, it's well into double digits out of 20 opportunities. So when you look at the, just the card itself and say, um, is he worthy? There's no question he's worthy. Is the guy manage the platform as well as you, you can manage the platform? It is, it is a high-level, high-visibility platform, and no one does it better than Cal. And so we're fortunate. Um, he's a guy that I trust. I would enjoy working with him. Um, the university's uh, enjoys having him represent us. That's a guy that we love having out representing Kentucky. And so um, he's great in the basketball community. He's well-respected. Um, and so to get that solidified where he has a chance to be here for a, a, a you know, long, you know, finish coaching as long as he wants to coach and, and do all that is, is really important to us. And um, we know that he'll battle for the opportunities to get to Final Fours and win national championships. We know that. 
Um, but the other things that he does, the intangibles that he brings us are really, really important as well. Yeah. And so thankful for that and, and look forward to working with him. I, I plan on finishing my career at Kentucky as well. And so to have an opportunity to work with, with head coaches that I've brought here and that we get to stay together and work together and, and for the good of, of the Cats and the Big Blue Nation is awesome. Well, Mitch, we have about 20 or 30 more questions for you, but unfortunately we're out of time, and you're probably heaving a sigh of relief there. But I do want to say thanks for joining us, and no. we'll just have to catch up with you again. My pleasure. Glad to do it, guys, anytime, and all the best. And uh, enjoy the get out of the, the, the broadcast booth there. It's a beautiful night. Oh, yeah. And you uh, take a walk tonight. It's pretty out there. Thanks, Coach. Talk to you later. See you, guys. All right. That's Mitch Barnard, UK Athletics Director. You are locked on Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Great stuff from a Mitch Barnhart. If you guys enjoyed that, please listen uh, weeknights to Big Blue Insider with Dick Gabriel and myself. Uh, we're on WLAP every evening unless we're preempted by a baseball game. So always check us out. And you can check out that podcast feed. Just search uh, Big Blue Insider or find a, check us out on our, our website, BigBlueInsider.com. As we wrap up this, this edition of the show, uh, I do want to tell you guys uh, that... Um, Nate Sestina is now officially a Wildcat. He signed all his papers. The release from UK came out today. As I'm recording this, Keon Brooks uh, paperwork has also come in. I'm recording here on Thursday uh, evening. Um, so both of those guys will be Kentucky Wildcats next year. Not super surprising that uh, the, those came through. Normally when a guy commits in basketball, it pretty much locks in. But they're officially out there. John Calipari and some statements on them. Um, Kyle and I might dive into that. A little bit as well when we get into uh, one of the podcasts next week, so stay tuned for that. But let's get to your football questions. Um, um, on the DM question we got earlier this week, it said, Will the Cats have a really bad defense, but the offense be much improved? Uh, it was nice that the offense scored 68, 64 points in the spring game, but defense giving up that much, ugh. Uh, here's what I'll have to say about that, basically. One thing to keep in mind when you're looking at the spring game is it was one versus two, so take both sides with a slight grain of salt. I think on the the number two team, there was only like two or three guys that had you know college football experience actually played in games last season. So here's the thing. you I think you take the positives for what they were because... It would be really bad if the offense did nothing. Basically, I look at it like this. Offense did what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be dominant to a certain extent. And they were. They put up a ton of points. They made big plays. They looked really good. They hit playmakers. They did some different things. Um, and on top of that, keep also keep in mind that Mark Stoops made it clear before the game that he was going to keep the defense very, very vanilla. Uh, there wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't going to be any out-scheming of uh, those kind of things. There wasn't going to be any any craziness. And plus, you know, keep in mind, in these in these scrimmages, no one was hitting quarterbacks as well. And so, yeah, quarterbacks are probably going to be a little bit more comfortable when they know there's never going to be any blows delivered to them. So, that, all those things stack up to make uh, the offense have a pretty massive advantage. But, to keep it positive the offense took advantage of all those advantages and put up a bunch of points like they should do, like a guy who's been in the system, Terry Wilson, for a while should do. All the all the players that you expect to see 
uh, play well did. And you got a couple of highlights from Cavassier Smoke. Uh, that one run, I mean, even if it was against twos, outrunning defensive backs the way he did on that 87-yard touchdown was was impressive no matter what. Um, so I overall, I think that the defense is going to be down. But how could it not be? You're losing five senior defensive backs. And you're losing the number, at, at worst, top five, top five NFL draft pick on the outside linebacker position in Josh Allen. So the defense is going to take a slight step back. But I like what Brad White's doing. I like what he's saying. And Mark Stoops knows, knows defensive backs. And so I think it, you have to believe in him to a certain extent to coach these guys up. Uh, we'll see the results on the field. It may, there may be a little bit of a, some growing pains, but I, I still like where I love where the offense is at at this point, and I I will believe in the defense to a certain extent because Mark Stoops has shown that he's able to develop guys uh, to this point. The other question we got on football was from Russ, and he asked if UK football is seven and five this season, is that considered a disappointment? That is a really really great question. <laughs> broadly in my opinion anytime Kentucky football goes to a bowl game that shouldn't be a disappointment when you look at it everything considered and when you look more directly at this year a winning record with what all you lost I mean we laid it out with the defense to a certain extent but then you throw on top of that you lost the all-time leading rusher in Benny Snell and an offense that had been run heavy. That's a ton to lose. So I often say these these kind of things. You know, it, it, disappointment is a tough word. I don't think a winning record would be a disappointment, but it wouldn't be great. Like I think a seven and five season would be good. They win eight games. That would be that would be really impressive. They win nine. That would be great. And so. I I wouldn't consider that a disappointment considering they're playing in the SEC. They've lost so much, and you factor all those things, and I wouldn't consider that a disappointment, just throwing out that number. Now, when you check back, and if that 7-5 and five has, some, has some, some losses in it that they shouldn't have lost when you're looking through things, disappointing games, they let some things slip through their fingers, then in theory it could be a disappointment overall. But just that record, I, I don't think that it, it, it would be... It would be a slight step back, but a slight step back in college football when you lose so much uh, to guys moving on from the program is expected. And, and most, almost every program grows through that unless you're Nick Saban, honestly, in Georgia. And I mean, you know, 7-5 and five was, was celebrated <laughs> just a few years ago. And while I don't think it should be held up, a 7-5 and five season uh, would be mean would mean that to a certain extent Kentucky football has stabilized and has become a team that even if they lose so many dudes to the draft they would still be a bowl team and if you can consistently be a bowl team then every every so often you jump up and you have that double digit win season and you go to a big time bowl in Florida and that's what I think Mark Stoops has kind of built this up to and if he's able to accomplish a seven-win season, I don't think that that would be a disappointment. It wouldn't make everybody happy, but I don't think it would be the level of being a disappointment. So hopefully that answers guys' questions. If you have any other, feel free to shoot us a tweet at Locked On Kentucky. You can always find me on Twitter 
at Curtis Birch, B-U-R-C-H. Find Kyle at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Read his work on The Athletic. As I mentioned, you can listen to Big Blue Insider with me and Dick Gabriel, 6 to 8 p.m. weeknights on 6.30 W-L-A-P. Please rate, please review, please subscribe. All that stuff really helps. We read the comments, and we really, really, really appreciate them. A quick final note, if you are looking to advertise... Please shoot us and shoot us an email. If you know somebody who has a small business that would like to advertise, have them reach out to us. Just locked on Kentucky at gmail.com. As I've said before, my DMs are open on Twitter. The uh I will feel free to ask me any questions and I can get you all the information you need. We'd love to help you or someone you know spread the word about their business. Thanks again to La Rosa's for sponsoring this edition of the show. Um and thanks again to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon. are Locked On Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.